The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Good morning, everybody. This is Scorebox Live from London. Here are your headlines this hour. The worst session since Black Monday in 1987. The Dow sheds another 10% as the Federal Reserve's $1.5 trillion cash injection fails to stem the declines. But U.S. futures turn cautiously higher and Asian stocks come off session lows. The ECB president, Christine Lagarde, telling CNBC exclusively that fiscal policy should be the first front in the fight against the outbreak and rejects President Trump's branding of COVID-19 as a foreign virus. I doubt very much that um, disease have passports and uh, are aware of borders. They ignore those borders. And I think that all economies are, um, should be mindful of taking the right steps. Airline shares across the world plunge deep into the red on the transatlantic travel ban, with European leaders pledging support for the region's hardest hit carriers. France orders nurseries, schools and universities to close as President Emmanuel Macron pledges to do whatever it costs to prop up the economy amid the virus outbreak. This epidemic, which affects all the continents and hits all the European countries, is the most serious health crisis that France has known in a century. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Friday the 13th. Yes, I'm not joking. We just didn't need that, did we? Anyway, look, let's go through some of these. And again, it's very easy for me to do my job at this stage because I just have to tell you the numbers and that you lot can do the rest because you're a smart audience. And quite frankly, the numbers are astonishing and they are historic. So the Dow has posted its worst day since Black Monday crash of 1987. Central bank action failing at the moment to reinsure investors amid the spread of coronavirus. The S&P 500 also plummeted 9.5%, joining the Dow, of course, firmly in market territory, bear market territory. This chart just shows you how we've surpassed a lot of previous crises. And this current crisis in the markets, again, I'm not adding uh, a florid uh, load of adjectives. I'm just telling you where it is, has joined the biggest market crises uh, of the last 100 years plus. So 1987 is still the biggest single day move we've seen with, as you can see, over 20% losses in that session. Then you've got the key sessions, uh, the big, big sessions of October 1929 and 1931 as well. Uh, those three, as you can see, all still very much larger than the session we saw yesterday. But another 1929 session below that, 1932, 1932, right into the midst of the Great Depression there. But let's have a look at where our one figures from yesterday, a 10% decline matching some of the worst declines we saw during that incredibly troubled period from 1929, of course, all the way to 1933. Let's have a look at the individual numbers as well. So the Dow Jones Industrial Average fell 2,352 points. The S&P 500 fell 260 points. Stay on this just for the moment as well, because I want to go into a little bit more detail. Boeing was the biggest contributor to the downside in the Dow. It fell 162 points. We are now, as I mentioned before, firmly in bear market territory on the Dow. We are off 28.3%, 28.3% in roughly 20 sessions. Just, just think about that. 
28.3% in roughly 20 sessions, in roughly four weeks of training. Quite extraordinary. So let me just give you some other numbers while I'm here as well, because I think the numbers are staggering. I don't need to add any commentary. The S&P 500 is down for the week, 16.5%. The NASDAQ is down 16%. The NASDAQ is 26.8% off its 52-week high as well. I want to break this down by sector for you as well, and then I'll move on. So the best performing of the key 11 sectors in the United States is healthcare, as you would probably imagine a lot of you. Again, you're a smart bunch. Down 19.2%. 19.2%. And all this talk of hoarding, all this talk of what people really want to buy in these very difficult times with the spread of the virus as well, well, you'd think staples would be performing pretty well. Well, it is relatively if that's not an uh, extraordinary term in this market. Staples are down 19.3%. That is the second best performing US sector. I'm not going to reel for every number, but I will go to the worst performing as well, because these are quite staggering numbers. Now, you already know that energy is in bear market territory, and I'll come to a little bit of uh, the, uh, the oil price in a few moments' time. Energy is 56.3% off its 52-week high. That's an extraordinary number. Financials are off 34.8% off their highs. Industrials are off 31.7%. And I'll leave you with this one. Uh, materials are down 29.5%. But, but, <laughs> it's time to give you some solace if you are long asset classes. Let's have a quick look at the, uh, the US futures and see where they are. they are currently trading. So the US futures at the moment, and again, it is such small solace compared to the devastating losses some of our viewers, and I'm very mindful of that, that a lot of you are licking your wounds on this one as well. So we're all going through this together, everybody. But look, we're 88 points up on the implied open uh, of the US market. It's not much, but I can assure you it is a lot better than the worst levels of the session. So let's have a quick look uh, at the um, opening calls for European markets. Oh, Nothing going on, really. Look, the cat Caron's only down four points as well. Um, but I do want to just say to some of the other asset classes out there as well, but I will just come to the Asian markets as well and just show you what has been an extraordinary session. Again, some really, really big moves here. Now, look, the Nikkei is down aggressively, 1,128 points. But the Shanghai Composite uh, has had a decent performance uh, the lot of this week, relatively. It is now down 1.2%. And the Kospi down in South Korea, where there are hopes about their performance in, in curtailing the spread of the coronavirus down 3.5%. I'm going to go through one or two more boards very quickly for our viewers. I think it's very important they get these. Gold has not proved the greatest safe haven. It's been okay compared to other assets, but it's trading at 1590, down 3.2%. So something happened? Should, should I know? Or am I still on air? Anyway, so 3.2% 3, 3 uh, for uh, this last session. Oil was down another 4.5% in the US yesterday. Uh, and WTI week to date is down. Week to date, ladies and gentlemen, WTI is down 23.7%. Brent down 26.8%. I'm going to do the European bosses for you very quickly. Week to date, the stock 600 is down 19.6%. Uh, and I'll just go through the major European indices. Um, the FTSE down 21% week today after that devastating 10.87% decline yesterday. Uh, the German DAX is down 20.6% week today. And I'll give you the FTSE mid because that is the epicenter of the concerns at the moment in Europe has lost 28.39% this week. Good, uh, good morning to you both. Morning. How are you? I, I hope good. I haven't been too gloomy. Luckily, we are still on air, I'm told. Yes. That was a bit of an aberration from the producers. Yes, the wall is still working. So let's <laughs> just point that out to our audience. Well, at least someone's a got a wall alarmed. working, eh? 
Uh, the market sell-off in the U.S. came despite efforts by Fed officials to ease the impact of the coronavirus outbreak. The central bank said it will inject more than a trillion dollars into the financial system and make changes to its Treasury purchase program to address, quote, unusual disruptions. Meanwhile, the New York Fed said it will increase lending in the repo market for the third time in four days. Jeff Henriksen joins us, the CEO of Thorpe Abbott's Capital. He's on the line this morning. Um, Jeff, what the Fed is doing here obviously is aggressively trying to provide support across the curve, but specifically to short-end lending. But we've seen a broad spread liquidation of all assets at this point. Do you think the authorities at this stage have now done enough to turn this panic sentiment? I mean, that's hard to know. I I, I would say probably not enough at this point. Um, I think most people, and I would be included in this, are expecting more from the Fed. Um, as we're seeing, you know, and I think, you know, obviously there's a, a real crisis of this virus that is uh, that is, is super scary. But, you know, from a economic perspective, uh, our general baseline view is that, you know, we're going to have a pretty, pretty sharp hit uh, while all the, the, you know, the steps are taken to quarantine and the like. But in the long term, you know, that we're going to come out of this looking looking pretty fine. But you know, if we hit a uh, huge credit crunch within there, I, that can be very problematic. So I think I think the authorities will have to do more. Now, whether or not the market thinks the Fed can do enough is, you know, another question. You're primarily focused on the equity markets. Let's ask you an equity market question. Um, at what yep. point do you start dollar cost averaging into these declines that we're seeing at the moment? Or is there another strategy that you think would work better perhaps buying the dips on certain days. Just, just give us a sense of how you think we should play it. Yeah, I mean, I think everybody's different. I mean, we've been buying this week. Uh, you know, we're a very long-term value-oriented fund. And, you know, we think that, you know, the type of, uh, how do I put this? It's like a special kind of fear that's, that's really gripping people right now. And I think it, it's creating dislocations uh, in, in the markets that we look at, specifically with equities, that, you know, I, I never thought we'd get to see generational lows like we did in 2008 and nine in terms of valuations in my lifetime again. But we're starting to see that. And so, you know, my view is that we don't try to pick bottoms because, I mean, I, you know, my guess is as good as anybody's on where this will go in terms of where it'll bottom. But, you know, our view is to look to find stocks that we think are, you know, massively mispriced and, uh, you know, in terms of the expectations for the future cash flows and the sentiment that's baked into those prices. And if we can buy them at, at big discounts, what they think or what we think they're worth, we're going to start doing that. And we've seen, I mean, in the last week, I've seen more interesting opportunities than I've seen in a, in a very long time. So we've, yeah, we have been buying and uh, we are optimistic that investors that can look through all of this um, can can find some really uh, great companies at really, really bargain level prices. Jeff, I take your point around rational thinking, but at this point, we've got a herd mentality taking place on the markets. We saw to the upside and now we're seeing it to the downside. Who do you think is selling at this point? Because there are reports and machines initially kicking in, but now it feels as though some of those investors right. that were running risk a little bit higher that think they were thinking equities were the only game in town. If you wanted to have a little bit of risk and chase some yield, might now be cutting those positions too. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I this feels to me, I mean, I, that like this could be machine driven. It could be people, you know, getting out of ETFs potentially. Um, you know, although I've heard that retail investors have not been 
um, major sellers, and, and that's maybe a, a reason to believe that there's further to go. Um, but, I mean, some of these moves are just – I mean, Boeing, I think one of, you, uh, one of the commentators mentioned, I mean, down – I think the day before yesterday it was down 14%, and it was down 18% today. And, I mean, look, there's probably going to be order cancellations, especially out of Asia Pacific, but those kind of moves – and what is, you know, a, a global duopoly is just is shocking. And so I think, you know, there, there's there are some really interesting opportunities emerging, I think, in, in a lot of names. And I just I really think that, uh, you know, for those uh, investors that can, um, you know, really try to understand, you know, fundamental values and take advantage of this. I think it's uh, it's 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 shaping up to be uh, an 0809 moment in terms of finding valuations that, um, you know, that you, you might be able to earn you know, in any in the span of a year or two, a decade's worth of returns if you if you make the right investment. Jeff, I want to just get into that value and whether we are looking at a value trap, because if you think of where we started this crisis, a lot of investors were talking about a Wuhan flu, a problem in Wuhan. They started mm-hmm. talking about an issue for China and then therefore a supply, sh- a supply chain shock. It's taken much longer right. for a lot of the CEOs and investors to clue into the fact that this is a demand shock and huge ramifications across mm-hmm. the economy. So far, all we've heard is right. a first quarter, second quarter issue and there's still a lot of expectations that the third quarter we start to see some improvement. Is that even true at this point? So if we're thinking about value, uh, yeah. are we underestimating or are we overestimating the impact at this point? I mean, I think we need some good news. I mean, I think, you know, what is happening um, with the coronavirus in terms of uh, the way it's spreading? Um, I mean, the terrible news we're getting out of Italy um, and Spain as well. And I think investors are extrapolating that basically that's what's going to come to the UK. That's what's going to come to the US. And, you know, we, we pray and we hope that it does not, um, in, in that degree. But until there's more clarity on that, I, I, this is, it's going to be dicey. But, you know, generally speaking, if we, the short term is going to be a big hit, both on the supply side and the demand side. But, I mean, if you think of past recessions when you've had big, you know, big supply hits, you've had, you know, um, you've had dislocations like, you know, where you've had to really have a, a reallocation of resources. I mean, think of the financial crisis, all the, all the people working in, in the mortgage industry and in housing that had to go and shift and find, you know, new stuff to do. And you don't have that now. I mean, everybody's going to quarantine. They're kind of hybrid, you know, going to hunker down. We'll get through this. And so I think on the supply side, we'll come back strong. And I think, you know, honestly, and this is my view, and I know some people differ, but I think on the demand side, that demand, you know, will come back more quickly than people think. I mean, you know, we've got interest rates are super, super low. I mean, just look where mortgage rates are uh, in the U.S. Oil prices have you know collapsed. So there's a lot of reasons to think that that demand will come back once we get through this. But I think it's really a function of just, you know, how long does that take and, and how bad does this virus get? And, you know, but generally speaking, I, my hope is that the worst fears that people are extrapolating um, are, 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 you know, not that, that, that that situation doesn't happen. And if we can get incremental improvements, uh-huh. I think then people will start to look through it. But Jeff, yeah. right now, it's, it's, it's tough to say. I appreciate the perspective, Jeff. Thank you so much for joining us today. Jeff Henriksen with us, the CEO of Thorpe Abbott's Capital. And just a, a teaser for our viewers out there, Carl Icahn, the chairman of Icahn Enterprises, uh, well known with many of our viewers out there. He'll be speaking to our US colleagues today on Halftime Report at 17.30 CET. Coming up on the programme, Italy reported biggest daily rise in confirmed coronavirus cases. 
The country's death toll has jumped above 1,000 now. We're going to take you to Milan for an update on the situation there. Yeah, and if you don't listen to our podcast, what on earth are you doing with your time? Just a reminder, if you do have time to uh, do it and look at it when you're not, or listen to it even, I beg your pardon, it's an audio thing, isn't it? Anyway, you want to listen to it today because it's very interesting. It's also going to include what was very important comments from Madame Lagarde, which I will play you after the break. But if you listen to this on um, Catch Up, then very important comments coming, as I say, as we uh, try and navigate these very, very interesting markets. Uh, it's available apparently in all the usual places. I don't know if you can get it in Audi and Lidl, though. If you enjoy Squawk Box Europe, check out the Brave Ones podcast. The series explores the rise of some of the world's most successful entrepreneurs. Through exclusive interviews with family, friends and colleagues, the Brave Ones podcast features stories of determination, resilience and ingenuity. Available on Apple Podcast, Spotify and Google Play. The Brave Ones podcast presented by Credit Suisse. Welcome back. The European Central Bank left interest rates unchanged, unlike the Bank of England this week and the Fed last week. The Central Bank decided not to lower its deposit rate deeper into negative territory, as was widely anticipated. Instead, the ECB responded to the economic threat of coronavirus by ramping up its asset purchasing programme by an additional 120 billion euros this year and cut the cost of loans to banks. The decision triggered a steep sell-off in the bond market as investors had priced in a rate cut. Well, Annetta caught up with the ECB president, Christine Lagarde, after her press conference. She asked her in this exclusive interview why the central bank had not opted to rush out with a decision earlier and surprise the market like the Fed and the Bank of England had done in previous days. You know, it's not a question of waiting. It's just that we had a, a monetary policy um, meeting that was scheduled for today. So it's, it's really within a few days of each other that we are making those announcements. And uh, it was good to have a unanimous decision reached by all members of the governing council together in order to face the current circumstances. When did you personally realize that this is a true crisis? It's not just a health issue somewhere in one part of the world? You know, as we saw what was happening in China, and, and I believe that it really um, started to resonate very strongly uh, when contamination started uh, reaching the shores of, of some of our European uh, countries. Um, and, and that's how we, we really started working on, on the set of uh, tools that we can use and to deploy them as best as possible. I know if you've been asked during the press conference, but I need to ask you again, because uh, Donald Trump, the US president, has just announced a travel ban, um, banning a foreign disease, he say, he's calling that. Um, what do you, what's your response to that? Do you think it's a wise idea to have that travel ban for 30 days and um, to be so, yeah, decisive in, in that policy measure? You know, I, I'm, I'm not to judge one measure or the other uh, by, by any government, but I doubt very much that... Um, disease have passports and uh, are aware of borders. They ignore those borders. And I think that all economies are, um, should be mindful of taking the right steps to, uh, to protect yeah. households, the people, enterprises, and make sure that, as I said, we bridge over that uh, collectively. 
How concerned are you about Italy and the situation there? Um, given, I mean, we have seen spreads a bit wider, but also, I mean, obviously the country is first hit by the coronavirus crisis currently. You know, I think that the package we have uh, and the, uh, the the tools that we, we, we can deploy will be completely available to Italy. Uh, we are very mindful of the fragmentation risk and we will deploy all the tools that we have in order to avoid that. Uh, this package is actually designed with a view to avoiding the risks, including the risk of fragmentation. So we'll, we'll, be, we'll be there, no question about it. I mean, uh, you know we've had this conversation long before these markets sold off over the last week or so. There was me bemoaning, I think it was Sarah Hewen who came on and said, well, they've got to do something. They've got to be seen to be doing something. And this was when we were talking about, well, why almost, if there's an impotency there. And I think this is a case where Madame Lagarde said, well, we can do this. But we can't do this. And, and I kind of, I almost have a grudging admiration for the ECB for not moving on rates yesterday. What was the point in another 10 basis points when you're already so far in negative territory? Well, it wasn't the vaccine, was it, uh, for coronavirus? It was not what the ECB could come up with ever. I and mean, I think many thought that they could do plenty of things, um, some magician type of wand that they could just wave around and, and fix markets and, and fix <laughs> Europe. But we certainly didn't see that. It was pretty plain that Christian Lagarde in this outing saying that she will not be Mario Draghi. She will not do whatever it takes. And as a result, that was monumental for the periphery, if you looked at the Italian yield, at this point we've got yields all reversing on these safe haven flows. The yield spiked and we got closer to 2%. Well, what is this mighty this was around, yield on the Italian well, this now? Was around, don't forget, during one point during this year it was at 0.86, 0.85 roughly, and we got up to about 1.9. I mean, that's a, a fairly dramatic swing when you think about all the demand for bonds at this point. Well, we're going to speak with the chair of the EBA a little bit later on, and surely this is the point. European Bank Association. The Measures that have been introduced by various governments where they've been targeted at Sorry, lending and concerns about credit, and that is the big fear here, really. Let's be honest about this. Uh, we're not really um, trying to fight a virus with monetary policy. What we're actually trying to do here is keep credit lines open in the short term to small and mid-sized businesses that need this money to tide them over where there is a lack of demand because the customers are just not coming into the stores anymore. So the point here is, has the European Central Bank done enough at this stage to make sure that those lending facilities are available at this point? And the chair of the EBA, when he comes in, I suspect, is going to just tell us that European banks have strengthened capital <laughs> positions and solid liquidity buffers, and they've improved the quality of the assets on their balance sheets. So from that perspective, the market shouldn't be nervous this, about the ability of anybody who wants to get credit to get credit. This is very important because we've talked about whether there is coordination at a G whatever level, whether there is coordination at a central bank level. Uh, but where I have definitely seen coordination is at a level where you've seen Mike Corbett telling the president, you've seen Andrew Bailey telling the world it was listening, and now you've seen uh, Madame Lagarde saying, this is about credit to businesses. And yes, the banks are better than they were last time round. And that's very, very obvious that everybody has concertedly gone out and say, our banks, uh, no, uh, let me quote um, from two days ago. Let me actually quote the governor of the Bank of England, Mark Carney, who's still the governor of the Bank of England for another two days. 
He said, last time the banks were part of the problem, this time they can be part of the solution. I thought that was a very interesting quote. Right, okay, I have got to do some flashes from another central banker. François Villeroy de Gallo. It's only seven syllables. It feels like more. Uh, anyway, uh, Villeroy says, we see market volatility, but we are guided by economic conditions. ECB package is coherent in light of economic situation. Says we are making unlimited liquidity, unlimited liquidity available to banks. It's the same point, isn't it? So they can carry on lending. Uh, we distance ourselves from capital key to buy more of some country's debt if needed. That's interesting. That is this. Let me just show you a visual metaphor. Here is your capital key. You can only buy a certain amount of every country. They've just ripped that up and said, we'll buy as much sovereign from wherever we like. I think that's what they just said. Karen, you yeah, wanted to come thumbs in. Thumbs up from the French banker, in contrast to Macron, who was critical yesterday of the ECB. We're going to push on to Italy in the latest. The, the death toll in Italy from the coronavirus has now passed 1,000. The number of confirmed cases shot above 15,000, the biggest daily increase since February. The euro area's third biggest economy remains under a nationwide lockdown in a bid to stem the spread of the infection. Italy's FTSE MIB has continued to reel from the virus, falling 17% to its worst single-day loss ever. Let's go out to Claudia for more. She joins us from Milan. Claudia, just talk us through the latest. Yes, Karen. All right. So there's there's a lot to say. Let's start from the market, as you were saying, the biggest uh, day loss uh, um, in history for the Italian stock market. That means 84 billion euros were lost yesterday. The Bourse watchdog Consum has banned all short selling for 85 stocks for today, Friday the 13th. Um, the uh, stock exchange has lost 40 percent of its value in one month. So clearly the effects of uh, this uh, crisis is being severely felt here on this stock market. Uh, as you were mentioning in the studio, the BTP, the bond spread, has also spiked it to, it's at 262 basis points uh, with uh, uh, the BTP yielding, uh, as you were saying, close to that 2% level. Now, um, so, so that's the market. So what's the government doing? We know that since yesterday they announced the stimulus package. The first part of it will start today. That's 12 billion euros that's being spent for hiring doctors, nurses, uh, medical equipment uh, that is needed and already been ordered uh, to, in, in, to, to, to beef up intensive care units. There is talk about making the fair, uh, the Milano, the Fiera Milano area, uh, a temporary hospital here for the Lombardy region, just to give you really a sense of what is happening here. Uh, this is a serious situation, and Italy has reacted in the only way that it could uh, in order to uh, keep its uh, health system from from collapsing. Now, this is obviously, as we said, weighed in terms of the market. It's going to weigh in terms of its, you know, excess uh, budget uh, levels. Uh, and it's going to weigh in terms also of a recession. I mean, you know, it's not clear, of course, it will depend if these measures that have been put into place will, in fact, work, uh, how much this contraction could be for the year. But, you know, it could be uh, well above the 2% level. It's expected to be over 3% just in this uh, first quarter. Uh, so you were talking about the lending uh, about these measures being effective uh, for um, uh, small businesses. They are trying to continue to work, but with the new measures where it's detailed in the newspapers, whether you can actually take your dog out for a walk and how far you can go from your home, I mean, how uh, easy does that make it for uh, companies to keep their businesses afloat? Wow. Uh, it has a lot to do also with um, how people are living the situation. So uh, it's uh, too early to say, but uh, in closing, what I can say is certainly the market yesterday was very hit uh, by Christine Lagarde's words yeah. about the ECB not being uh, there to close the spreads.
Claudia, okay. apologies for interrupting. I'm very proud of your work, actually. You're doing a fantastic job this week under very, very tough circumstances. I'm, I'm proud to be your colleague, Claudia. Well done, you. Uh, and also mention the dogs as well. I mean, you know, we've all got dogs around this channel, around this studio. Patting everyone else's dog these days. Well, Hands no, off the dog. There, do you know what? This is nothing to do with coronavirus, but there is a school of thought out there that families ha who have dogs in the household are more immune to certain types of bacteria because they're exposed to it the whole time. But this is a virus this time. So. Which is which is an excuse for me saying why my house is such a pigsty always with the kids and the family I hate and the dogs. Say it's not going so well for the dogs in China, but we probably don't want to talk about that. Right Did you now. have to do that? I'm sorry. I was being at a sorry. certain level of frivolity, trying to you know, and then you just went you went there, didn't you? You went Defcon dog. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.